and sisters, it seems like ages since I was last up here. Oh, well, no, not really, actually. I was here last week, so just being up the front as well. Um, I have just a, a very brief thing I want to share with you before I open in prayer. Uh, I got a message from, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anybody or anything, so I understand we're all busy. Some of us come from um, a lot of travel and, and things like this to get here on Sunday mornings, but our church starts at 10.15. And it's been, uh, last week it was shared with me uh, that uh, Eva's dad, Eva's dad was like here and he was saying, where is everybody? Uh, we had some visitors come, uh, first time to the church, and they were here before most of us. Uh, so, I mean, we, we like to be at work on time, we like to do a lot of things on time, we're like, you know, and I'm not, I'm not sort of dogging on anyone or telling anyone off, and I understand, but um, we're coming to worship our God as a family, as brothers and sisters, and and so we start at 10.15, and it would be appreciative if we could get here on time, which would be a great blessing for the worship team, for the welcome team, and, and just for people within church. We think it would be a, a great encouragement for everybody there. And then we can enjoy. I got to do welcoming today. That was fun. That was fun. And so, uh, yeah, I would encourage you regarding that aspect of it. Okay? I'll just go open a word of prayer, and then we'll go into the word together. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God that loves us, and that you're a God that demonstrated that love and the sin in your Son, Jesus Christ. As we come before you now, we pray that you will speak to each of our hearts, that you will meet us where each of us are at, and that you will bring us and draw us closer to yourself. We thank you for the promise of your word that when we draw near you, to you, you draw near to us. And so, Lord, draw near to us now. Speak to us through your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. My question to you is, what is the Christmas story? What is the Christmas story? Every year we have an event, a date in the calendar, where the whole world stop, stops and acknowledges the Christmas season. Whether it's the celebrating, let me turn this on, whether it's the celebrating of a fat, jolly red man, Six white boomers, which I knew nothing of until I came to Australia. I still don't know what it is, to tell you the truth. Okay, uh, a festival of lights, a time off work, family, friends, or the money-making commercialism of first world countries. There is no doubt that in our understanding, meaning us as Christians, that the Christmas season has been relegated to a place of outdated, antiquated Irrelevance, which is just a flash way of saying it doesn't really matter anymore. Sadly, even for us in a lot of churches, the idea of Christmas doesn't move beyond when God gave the greatest gift of all. It doesn't move beyond the nativity scene where the Magi gather to worship a baby in a manger and the heavenly host proclaim glory to God in the highest. So accustomed have we become to this repetitive story is that we have had the sheer greatness of Jesus' birth overtaken by the busyness of our lives. This is the reason why, and I actually did send this message out, which no one probably read. I asked you guys, oh, you did? oh yeah, sorry, my sister, one person, Pam, come stand next to me, please, sister. Come stand next to me. I asked you guys if you happen to have one of these t-shirts. Oh, and Nick too. Nick, come and stand with me, brother. Take off your cardigan. Come stand with me. Come on, brother. Come on. Come on now. 
Uh, well, no, it's not that. It's not that you guys only got the message. That you're the only guys that read the message. <laughs> okay. So, the reason why I did ask this particular T-shirt to be worn is because it's actually symbolic of the pursuit and the extent that God was willing to go to for us. That He laid His glory aside, clothed Himself in human form, and pursued us to become His children. That's why I wanted this to be remind us of the greatness of God's love. Pam, thank you for being such a reminder. Nick, thank you for being such a reminder. Everybody say thank you. Thank you for being such a reminder. Grab a seat, grab a seat, grab a seat. And right now you're like, that's really strange. But what we're going to do over the next several weeks before we get into Christmas is we are going to look at various factors regarding the Christmas story. And what the Christmas story actually means. How the Christmas story is something that speaks to the steps taken to repair the brokenness of creation. To reconcile estranged relationships. To redeem a ruined people and restore that ruined people to their rightful position within creation. Each week we're going to look at one of those points as we lead into the celebration that is the birth of Jesus Christ. So, we have heard over the past several weeks, okay, the several weeks we have heard about the work and the life-transforming message of the gospel in different areas of life around the world, whether it be through Jeff Folland and Power to Change, who works at university campuses, whether it be Kiichi Kitahara with Navigators over in Japan, whether it be Ravi Zacharias International Ministries with Alex Stark, or last week with Etienne McClintock talking about what's going on in persecuted countries. The message remains the same, how the gospel of how God became a man, lived among us, died for us and rose again, how that transforms life. See, Something was shared with me, and Craig, Craig and I were talking about this last week. Uh, as you guys heard, I went to prison last week to visit and do ministry. I've got to stop. Okay, I did some ministry in prison. That sounds a lot better doing it that way. I, went to, I did some ministry in prison with some, with some guys, and there was one gentleman there by the name of Alex Thomas. He was the minister of another church. Uh, I believe it was an Anglican church he was the minister of, and something he said to me, which really stuck out to me. He goes to me, he goes to me, Joe, I've been in ministry for a number of years, and I see, I, see, I see more lives transformed in the four days I spend within a prison than I do with years working within a church. Four days I've seen the life-transforming gospel at work in people's lives. I see in four days, I see more of that done in four days than in years of working within a church. And you know what struck me? What struck me was why? Why? It is the same gospel, it is the same God, it is the same message that can transform lives, that can transform lives, that can take people from darkness to light. And therefore, I was thinking, then what is it that we are missing in seeing God at work in the hearts and in the minds and the lives of families of people that we know? And you know, that's why I think this is so important today, is that we start, we start looking at where it all begins, starting at the Christmas story. You see, when we look at the scriptures, we are given a look at what God intended to be in his creation. 
what God intended in his original design. We look and see how in the first two chapters of Genesis, the order, the care, the power, and the intentionality of God's creativity. And that sprung forth from the mouth of God when he spoke a word that made something from nothing. Actually, in Genesis chapter 1, 11 times you hear this phrase. What do you hear? You read this phrase. 11 times you read this phrase. And God said. And God said. And 11 times God said. 11 times, and each time he said something, change happened. Something came from nothing. That's the power of our God, so much so that when he said, and God said 11 times, six times he says, and it was good. Why? Because he is the measure of goodness. God is good. He is the measure of goodness. He is the standard of what determines something to be good and something to be bad, something to be right, something to be wrong. That's who our God is. And then the seventh time after he made Adam, made the pinnacle of creation, made humanity, he said it was very good. You have a picture of what God's design was, this, this order that he plans and everything he sets in place and all to enjoy, all to enjoy fellowship and to experience genuine relationship with his creator as friend, as God, and as father. Now, this reality, this closeness, this intimacy that was God's intentional design well, it was broken. It was broken by humanity's own self-centeredness, by humanity's own selfishness. If you recall Alex Stark several weeks ago, he said, we are created for good, but we are damaged by sin. Why are we damaged by sin? Because we want what we want in the bigger picture of things. And so what we're given in this passage here of Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, of what was implied of how God wanted things to be. This is what has been broken. So we read this. I won't read it out for you. I will let you read it because I've, this is not the text I'm teaching from, but I want it to just refer you to something, okay? Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, we read this. This is after Adam and Eve disobey God and eat of the fruit they were not supposed to eat. And so the first thing, it says this, then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened and they realized they were naked. Firstly, this is not to say that they were blind. When it says that their eyes were opened, it's not to say that they were blind, but rather that there was a change of focus. There was a change of focus. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and I've shared this with you before, we read in chapter 2, verse 25, that Adam and Eve were both naked and they were not ashamed. You know why they were not ashamed? Because the focus was not each other. Their focus was God. And because their focus was God, it didn't matter that they were naked because that was not their primary focus. And they, so they felt no shame. But now their focus was taken off God and now skewed by making themselves the center of their own being, the center of their own universes. Thus, I deem this thing, what God intended for this, this whole thing of being God-focused and being God-centered, was now a loss of liberty and freedom, the loss of liberty and freedom to be who they are, to be how God intended them to be, to be humanity, reflecting all of God's glory. That was now gone because they wanted 
what they wanted. The next part of that verse, we read this. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Secondly, because of their wrongdoing and the realization of what had been lost, there is an effort to create a means by whereby they could stand before God with their shame. You know what that's called? That is called religion. This is the first effort of people trying to attain divinity, of people trying to earn God's acceptance by covering themselves. What did they do? That's what a religion does. A religion says, what can I do to get accepted by God? We're biblically speaking, what can you do? Nothing. Nothing can be done by us. And so we read this now. So we have this, what's, what's been lost is that now they have to be covered up. Now they learn to hide something which we learn from, that their own human effort fall far short from what God requires. Like I said, it's the first example of religion. Thus, there is now a loss of standing and acceptance before God. Because what they wanted, they wanted what they wanted, they now have lost that standing. Think about that, the standing that you once had. Have you ever been rejected? I've been rejected so many times. That sounds terrible. But when, when you get rejected from someone, whether it might be a job, whether it might be a position, whether it might be a client, whatever it might be, there is this break there. It's not the same because of the rejection. This is what's now experienced by Adam and Eve who had an intimacy with God. Gone, just like that, because they wanted what they wanted. Thirdly, verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Thirdly, even in their self-centeredness and their attempts to cover their shame, they still heard God walk. They, they recognized what God was doing. They recognized that God was walking in the garden. And now, where was once openness and acceptance, when there was once, what do they do now? They, they hide of the loss of openness and the rejection of an invitation. You, you know why? Because God says, Adam, am I there now? I'm not there now. I'll come to that later. All right, but that, it, it, it's gone now. This openness that was once there. Think about this. In the cool of the day, Adam and Eve used to walk with the Lord and talk with the Lord. Now it's gone. Now, when God says, Where are you? What are they? they hide. They hide themselves. Verse 9 and 10. We read this. You can read through it. I'm not going to read it for you. Okay? And lastly, where there was once friendship and fellowship, intimacy and interaction. See, even with this invitation that God gives Adam when he says, Adam, where are you? And his compassion giving Adam a chance. Because he says, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. When it says God, when God called to the man, I've shared this before a number of years ago. Did God know where he is? Yes. God knew exactly where he was. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He calls out to Adam, Adam, where are you? There's the invitation. There's the call. He was giving Adam a chance to own up. He was giving Adam a chance to confess. Adam a chance to recognize this is what I've done wrong. And instead, instead of coming and saying, Lord, I've disobeyed. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I wanted what I wanted. What does Adam do? Adam says, hey, it's your fault. You gave me that woman. You gave me that woman. That's what us husbands say all the time, eh? I mean, I never say that. I never say that. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. 
Given a chance to own up. It was a complete rejection by self to this invitation. It was a complete rejection by self of everything God had done, given, and provided Adam and Eve. It was a complete blindness by self and what self wanted, which had, didn't want anything to do with God. He says, I don't want this. So when you look, when you look at what God had originally intended in this relationship for Adam and Eve, and ultimately for us, this here, liberty and freedom, standing and acceptance, openness and invitation, friendship and fellowship, intimacy and interaction. And the greatest of environments, and the great, there was no domestic abuse, there was no alcoholism here. There was no career-driven pathways that kept them tied up. Nothing like that. There was a perfect situation for Adam and Eve to love on their heavenly father who loved them more than the universe itself. But instead, humanity chose captivity instead of liberty. Chose enslavement over freedom. Chose running over standing. Chose rejection over acceptance. Chose hiding over openness. Chose Ignorance over invitation, enmity over friendship, isolation over fellowship, shallowness over intimacy, and independence over interaction. This is why we're broken. This here, when you look around in the world today, you see continually in the lives and in the minds and in the hearts of people, including us, including us, even as the children of God, because we are a broken people. Creation was broken at that particular point. What God had intended and creation had now been broken by our desire to be the center of everything that we do. And the sad thing is now, years later, it is still the same. The only small difference that we have now today is that we now have, oh, I didn't put it, the Christmas story. We now have the Christmas story. This is what the Christmas story is about. The Christmas story is about repair. The Christmas story is about the repairing of all of this that we chose and where God, by his grace, has stooped down to bring about a repair of it. And where do we find this? You see, You find this if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7a. Like I said, you look around today, you'll see all of these aspects alive and well. People captive to their careers, people enslaved by others' opinions, people running away for responsibility, etc., etc., etc. But when one looks at the Christmas story, reads about Jesus then one sees hope, the hope God gives us in Jesus Christ, the hope he has granted us to repair the broken state that we have chosen to live in. And the hope he gives us in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7a says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So here is but the first of the repairs that Jesus 
of the Christmas story brings. Wonder to our teens, why he is called wonderful. We sing, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy. We read of the sheer magnificence of his power and are awestruck by the greatness of his grace. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. This is Moses talking with God, trying to convince God to let him into the promised land. And he says, at that time, I pleaded with the Lord, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand for what God is there in heaven and on earth who can, go, who can do the deeds and the mighty works you do. See, when we lose sight of such a basic biblical truth about the sheer wonder of who God is, then we get frustrated and bored in life. It's true. Have, have you ever got something real, like brand, it might be a, a brand new phone, and you're like, wow, that's so cool. I've seen Jimmy do this. Okay, but when he went from iPhone to Samsung, I thought, yeah, and I was like, where to see the light, brother. But here's the thing. When you see, when you, have, you ever, have you been awestruck at something? Have you seen something and just thought, wow. And might be, I mean, looking at the wedding with Julie and Kenny, that was really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing the photos of you kissing and me standing in the background, <laughs> which just looks really creepy. Okay, but you, you, have you ever been awestruck? But it might be a, a sunset where you're just like, wow. It might be sitting on the beach and watching the crashing waves come in and thinking, wow. It might be seeing the goodness that somebody does, a, a wonderful gift that somebody gives. And you hold a brand new baby and think, oh, wow. Have you ever had that moment where you've just been caught up in wonder? You know what happens? That wonder fades. Due to the sinfulness of our own hearts, due to the sinfulness and the way we try to entertain ourselves, we're always looking for more, aren't we? We're always looking for more. But you know why he's called wonderful? Because he is full of wonder. He is inexhaustible in nature. His very being should have us just awestruck whenever we look into these pages of Scripture and just think, wow, how great is this God I know? How good is this God who loves me? The sheer, I mean, I remember when my wife said, when we, she, we went down, when she said she liked me, I'm like, wow. I'm still amazed that I'm married to such an amazing woman. I'm still amazed that she's actually still married to me. I, I, I'm the one reaching. I'm the one reaching. She's like, pow. And I'm like, ba-boom. And I'm like, oh, God, thank you so much. Somebody said to me one time, how, how did you get a woman like that? I was like, prayer. Prayer. God answered my prayer, and I'm so thankful for that. But see, that, that's what happens. It's wonder. So if you look at your Christian life, and you wonder why you feel stuck in your Christian life, you wonder why in your Christian life you, you lack the wonder and the excitement of knowing who Jesus is. You know what it might be? It might be maybe you're not living in obedience to what he has called you to do. Maybe you're not experiencing the wonder of his promises because you may not even know what his promises are. Maybe you're not, not, not fulfilling or partaking of the greatness that he wants you to do because you're too caught up in your own lives. Maybe, maybe, or as Pastor John told me to say, perhaps, perhaps that's what it is. 
Because we are told in the scriptures, he has come to bring us life and life and what? Abundance. Abundance. We are told that we have life and it's abundance. And the reason why we're not partaking of such abundance is because we are so content in our own little worlds, doing what we want, how we want, and revolving our universes around us instead of what God wants, then we miss out on the sheer greatness of what he's offering. That's why he has come to bring wonder to our routine. Maybe, or perhaps, we should view and interpret everything around us as an opportunity to serve this God of wonders. Maybe we can look at it and think, okay, Lord, you have given me this job. Maybe I can then honor you in the job and how I work and in what I say and in what I do. Maybe within the church, maybe, Lord, I should stop having my own personal agendas and what I want to see happen and instead fall into line what you want to see happen within this church. Maybe I should maybe call a brother or sister and say hello. Maybe I should go visit someone who, who, who seems on the outer. Maybe, maybe if there's someone not being talked to, maybe I should step out and talk to that person. Because it's not until you step out is when you see God work. If you're going to stay back here on this side of the Jordan and not step out and see the waters move, then you are going to sit there and be discontented and frustrated because you're wondering, why, God, won't you talk to me? Why, God, won't you reveal to me? You know why? Because when I reveal something to you, Joe, you don't do nothing with it. Maybe that's why. And how I raise my kids and how I treat my wife or how I treat my husband. Because our God wants us to experience the wonder that he brings. So maybe we should stop trying to find our sense of wonder in the very things we find ourselves enslaved to. And instead, bring the brokenness of our enslavement to the person of Christ. About the Christmas story of God becoming a man. I mean, that's wonder in itself. Think about that for a second. God became a man. How, how wondrous is that? Born a baby. How wondrous is that? In a manger, how wondrous is that? Surrounded by animals, how wondrous is that? That the divine clothed himself in human flesh to pursue you. How wondrous is that? The second thing we're told is this, that he has come to repair our ignorance by bringing us wisdom. In a world where many deem truth to be subjective or created to suit you, what one thinks, and you know this, you've met people like this when they say things like, well, Joe, what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. Well, that's not actually truth. See, we live in a society that says you can create truth, and you can create truth to suit you. The problem with truth is this, and Alex Stark shared this with me, truth is not created, it's discovered. Truth is not made, it's revealed. Everything about science, everything about mathematics, all of those things are what's been discovered about the natural laws of the universe. They didn't make them, they just found a way to read it and say, okay, this is, what, this is how it works. That's the way it is. And the thing is this, what we are told regarding truth is in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
You see, true wisdom is the understanding and acceptance that truth is not created but discovered. It is not determined by how one feels about it, but rather revealed in its connection to reality. Thus, the Christmas story reveals our need for a saviour. What happened in Matthew chapter 1 when it says, You shall call him Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. The reason why he's called Jesus is because he is here to save. That is our need. We are in need of saving. The Christmas story shows that all creation, not just us, are in need of repair. And if we are going to look honestly at what the Christmas story implies, it means that we must question our ability to think we know what is best for ourselves and instead uncover by God's wisdom who we are and what our state really is. Now, I get told this a lot. I even got told this today by a brother in the church whom I love dearly who said to me, Joe, oh, you've got a good heart. And I'm like, yeah. No, but the reality is, I see, how I see myself and how other people see me is far short than what the Scriptures teach. When someone says that I have a good heart, you know what my heart's really like, according to what the Bible says? Deceitful and desperately wicked. That's what my heart really is. And I know it's desperately wicked and deceitful because I can do something terrible, like be rad, sorry, Brad. Brad might do something and I'm, I'm not happy with it. And inside, I'm like, I hate you so much, Brad. But outside, I'm like, hey, bro, how you going? Love your heaps, man. Love your heaps. Love your heaps, Brad. Okay? That, you know what I mean? That's how deceitful our hearts are. You know why our hearts are so deceitful? Because what the Bible teaches is that our hearts are broken and are in need of repair, which means instead of me thinking what I think is best, rather turn to what God's wisdom is, what our counselor says, he who brings wisdom to my ignorance. This is why when you read in the scriptures, we are told that this is like a mirror. Why? Because a mirror reveals exactly what you are like. A mirror doesn't lie. And when I look in here, I see some wonderful things that tells me about who I am, how I'm made in the image of God, how I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, how I'm loved so much by a God who made me. But it also tells me that I am a sinner in need of saving. It also tells me that, I am, and, and that, that there is no one righteous, including me. It tells me that I'm deceitful. And that's why the Christmas story has come to repair the brokenness that's been done by me. Amen, which we'll get to soon. <laughs> Thirdly, confidence. So in my uncertainty, what does it? He repairs my uncertainty by giving me confidence. Almighty God, if you if you belong to the church devotional, so I share devotional things on on the church thing. If you want to join the church devotional, um, give me a mobile number. I'll, I'll put you to the the WhatsApp group, and uh, like Uncle Mike shares some stuff, and Andrew Finn shares some stuff to people. I usually share a devotion, but what I really like, because I've been born again. Through faith in Jesus Christ, I have been made, and I've been doing this, and there are 28 things that we're working our through, 28 things we've been made in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to just put down a few. You are, this is what the Scriptures teach, you are accepted, Ephesians 1, 6. You are complete in Him, Colossians chapter 2, 10. You are chosen, 1 Peter 2, 9. You are called, 2 Timothy 1, 9. You are forgiven, Ephesians 1, 7. You are redeemed, Galatians 3, 14. You are free, 
John 8, 32. You are joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17, and you are victorious in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. And that's just to name a few. There's, not even, there's more than 28. I'm only going to 28. There's more than 28. But this is how the Christmas story becomes so relevant to you and I now. That in Jesus Christ, we have become what we were originally intended to be. What we were supposed to be in Christ. The confidence you and I have now through faith in Christ is that we now can enter the throne room of grace. That we have access to the grace wherein we stand and peace with God in him. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. To enter the throne room of grace, Hebrews 4.16, and ask for help in time of need. And the confidence of our security within the hand of God. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. That is what we have been made. See, the Christmas story is not only about wonder and about wisdom, but also about confidence in a world where people say things can't be known. We can know confidently because we know the one who made the universe. We know the God who seeks us out. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's awesome. And that's why he gives to us confidence in uncertainty. Fourth one, to my stubbornness, to my stubbornness, he gives compassion. As a father shows compassion to a child, so our heavenly father shows compassion to us. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, we read this. That rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, do you know why stubbornness is referred to as idolatry? Because when you're stubborn, who are you putting in charge? If you're stubborn, who are you trying not to move? You! You put yourself in that position and say, I'm gonna, I mean, I've seen people do this. You just dig your heels in. You dig your heels in and you're like, bring it on. This, this is why stubbornness is as idolatry, is because you place yourself in the position of God. I become the God to which I bow down to. I become the center of my universe, and I want, what, sorry, and what I want is to take precedence over anything that anyone else, especially God, wants. Which makes, which makes the Christmas story even or more amazing. You see, I am told that I want darkness over light. I am told that I am a sinner deserving of death. Okay? And yet, I am told, even with those two things, the compassion and mercy and grace of God is demonstrated in the coming of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. That how he was born of a woman, born under the law. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we are told how he has put on human flesh, the Word made flesh. In order that, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, this is what makes the Christmas story so amazing. That in my rebellion, in my hiding, in my selfishness, 
in my complete rejection of who God is, and I'm told this was in the Scriptures, that, that we want nothing, that, that no one seeks after God. No one. You don't, and I don't. No one seeks after God. And yet, in my rejection of God, I am told that he was still born of a woman, born under the law, that he is still the Word made flesh, that he clothed himself for me. That's what makes the Christmas story so amazing because it demonstrates to me how much I am loved even though I'm not deserving of such love, of such goodness, of such mercy. That is what makes the Christmas story so amazing, which reminds me of the last, this last point, that to my chaos, he brings peace. See, as I shared before, I think I'll put it up there, we have access to this grace, Romans 5, 1 and 2. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We also and, and, oh, we have order in the chaos of this world because we know a God who is not an author of confusion. I think I put it up there, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. And given the confidence of being accepted because of the mercy and grace he has done for us. That's Titus chapter 3, verse 5. See, 1 John speaks of the fellowship we share with each other because of the fellowship we share with our God through Christ. We are given the promise that when a man's ways please the Lord, it makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's in Proverbs 16, verse 7. And this is what the Christmas story is about. The Christmas story is about repair. The Christmas story is about how God sought to repair the damage we have caused in seeking to live our own lives without Him. It's about how God initiated this repair by becoming one of us, by laying aside His glory, clothing Himself in humanity, living with us, identifying with our struggles in order to repair, to repair there we go, I go too far, to repair our enslavement and captivity that we have to this world and to our own selfish desires and all its ills and, and repair our sense of life's wonder in the knowledge of himself. I want you to remember that. He has come to repair our enslavement with the wonder of knowing who he is. That's the only way true wonder is experienced. True enthusiasm is felt. I've shared with you before, what does enthusiasm mean? In theos, in God, is what enthusiasm means. That when you're in God, you're instilled with the sense of wonder to repair the willful ignorance we have to how life works and rather abide by and live according to the divine wisdom of God's Word. To repair the perspective regarding life's uncertainty and that in the knowledge of him and his word have instilled within us a confidence and assurance that grants us security in our relationship with him. To repair the sinful stubbornness that we hold to and, and as, as a compassionate, loving father works in us to bring about that which is pleasing in his sight. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Such a blessing to have the same God who spoke the universe into being inject himself personally into each of our lives and personally into my repair. 
And lastly, to repair the chaos that sin brings to this life. Repair what my life is outside of him. Repair the damage that the storms of life bring. To repair the aftermath of such ruin with the reality that this life is only but a moment. That there awaits in Christ an eternal weight of glory that will outlast the temporary struggles that we experience. The, the brief suffering and the hardships that we encounter. The Christmas story is about him who has come to bring peace for the eternity that waits. Not the easy life for the now. If we can but grasp this first aspect of the Christmas story, that it's about repair, we might come to truly appreciate and cherish who Jesus is to us as Lord, what he's done for us, made us his own, and what is happening to us, being renewed day by day, trial by trial, challenge by challenge by his spirit. So whilst this is about repair, next week we'll look at the extent of how far this repair goes. That, that what we have broken, and that will most probably break again in some way, what he's done to take that into account. So, the first point of the Christmas, of what the Christmas story is about. What's the Christmas story about? Point one. Oh, wow, that was pitiful. That was pitiful. Everyone just say repair. It's, it's right up there. Well, it's repairing. But Okay, so what's the Christmas story about? Repair. Okay, let's just say repair. I, sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, one more time. Repair, okay? Re- repair. Thank you, Ellie. I'll, I'll. Okay, so what's the Christmas story about? Repair. Amen. Amen. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. Because he is, Ellie, repairing. repairing. <laughs> Join me in prayer, brothers and sisters. I'd like to invite the music team up, and we'll close in our song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much just the greatness of who you are. Lord, I pray that you will instill within our hearts that you will clear our eyes to see the sheer magnitude of your love for us, that we'll be swept up and awestruck by the sheer hugeness of your being. Father, to know that you became a man and clothed yourself in human flesh for us, may we truly just be caught up in, in such a thing as this and, and fall more in love with you. Father, please open our eyes to see. Please give us a heart to respond. Father, please stir our hearts to live. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. vessels. See you.
Thank you for such amazing grace. 
we thank you that you have raised us as the broken and brought us into life. We thank you that it is you who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill your good purpose. Father, we humble ourselves before you and ask, Father, you will help us to see. Help us to see what you are doing. Help us to recognize your hand at work and help us to submit to your hand in our lives, to live obediently as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. So we commit ourselves to you now and ask you to dismiss us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. I'd like to... I'd like to invite the prayer team up. If you want to be prayed for, we would love to pray. Before you leave, actually, pray for someone before you leave as well. It'd be awesome just to pray for somebody before you leave. But if I ask the prayer team to come up, we'd love to pray for people this morning as well. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters.